News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Brett Jensen here with you on this post-election Wednesday night of Breaking with Brett Jensen, 704-570-1110. And guys, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. And if you've been following me on Twitter, you would have seen all the stuff that I did on the Charlotte Observer and the way they handled the advertisement stuff of Tark Bakari. That gained roughly almost 50,000 views on Twitter. And then I put up a Tark Bakari, a Tark Bakari uh, image of the plane and the banner that he hired to fly around South Park yesterday. And I took a screenshot of that. Was the only person in Charlotte to have it, I think. Uh, maybe a couple of cameramen actually have it. I take that back. And put that out on Twitter, and that got like 38,000 views, 40,000 views. So that's why I tell you, follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen. Okay, so Tark Bakari did win last night. Everyone knows that. It's old news by now. You know, he won almost exactly at like 9.50 last night. So he won by 352 votes against Stephanie Hand, who was very controversial because of the way she misled about her uh, job experience with the airport. But immediately after the win last night, after he gave his victory speech, I pulled Tark Bakari to the side, and he had he and I had a very, very in-depth conversation about the election. So about 30 minutes ago, you won re-election. Um, at what point did you think, you know what, I think we're going to win? Um, honestly, it was... When the final two precincts were reported, I literally, because I knew we, we had two precincts left. One was hers, one was mine, but hers was bigger, and I was only up by, you know, 200 some votes. So uh, I knew that it could go either way at that point. So I have, I've been in some contentious races. I've never had just a walk-off before, but I don't think I've ever been in one that was this to the wire I was at peace with whatever happened because I knew we left it all in the field and, uh, and, and there, there was nothing more we could have done. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I just I really didn't know it was going to happen. And I really was worried for our city and, and, and knew, you know, the things I do there uniquely. I wasn't sure they were going to be done if I wasn't there. So I really wanted to be there. During this whole process, and you, like you just said you've been in difficult elections in the past, but this one had the most notoriety because it was basically the only race in town this this year for this particular election. So all the eyes were focused on you. What did you learn about yourself and the way with you and your wife and your family, not not the campaign, but what did you guys learn about yourself through all of this? Well, I mean, that's a great question. One, I learned that my kids who have grown up now over the last six years, for the most part, my oldest is 10, right? Uh, over the last six years, they've grown up in this world and they are paying attention. And not just like, like they, they've grown up at polls, like being at the polls. They're so great out there. You don't have to ask them to do anything. They, they go at it. But my oldest son actually, you know, this was, this was great. He, he, he is really to the age now where he, we sat down and had a serious conversation. And I actually asked him, I'll tell you this. I haven't told anybody else. He, he on Friday, I said, hey. Because he's been through a lot. We've been as a family through a lot. Cops patrolling our house from death threats. You know, all kinds of things that absolutely were uncalled for that, that we've been under. And I said, hey, do you, would you prefer if I win or lose on, on Tuesday? And without question, he said, I want you to win. I said, well, I want you to really think about that. Really think about if ultimately uh, I win, 
or lose. Like, what, what do you want? Because serving the city is is one thing, and what I do is unique. But the time that I can spend with you, the family, the 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 amount of money we could have to do stuff would be very different if I was out and had the time to you know go into work fully. And he thought he said, "Can I have until Monday to answer you?" And we had a couple conversations since then. In the end, he said, uh, "He's like it's kind of fifty-fifty, but I hope you lose." And I said, "Wow!" And he said, "Because at the end of the day, like I think there's so much stuff we could do together." Um, but I also understand how important it is what you do for the cops, what you do for the different things you do. So that's a 10 year old. I know that's a bit of a long story, but like that was the most impactful thing there. And then finally on my wife, she's a killer. She's an absolute killer who cares so much about the city and whatever you think you saw hard work from me through this period, she was doing double waking up in the morning peppering me with did you do this have we thought about this every night before we go to bed this is as much her victory as anybody else's you said a lot in a lot of interviews you've been saying this from day one that if you lost this seat that the republicans would never get this seat back and you won this election again because of the independents not because of the republicans but because of the independents voting for you or you know, getting close to 50% of the independents. If you were to have lost, do you really believe that Republicans never would have gotten the seat back? Uh, yeah, I, I did believe that. And it's because, you know, I come in with incumbency name ID from six years. That's a plus. Um, but the opponent who would have won, ultimately, um, you know, she, she has a lot of unique factors that makes her very, very strong in this district. And ultimately the the order of people the demographics that make up district six are unaffiliated democrat and then republican third i mean is you know this was an uphill battle i should have been the underdog on paper uh and and you know with someone coming in without name id taking her on i mean it's bluing but it would have definitely definitely been almost an impossible task uh from this point forward so it is a blessing that we're able to hold on to another seat, maintain a little bit of balance in this community for the next two years. And we're going to have to figure out and regroup and strategize, not just on how we're just going to kind of tread water and hold on to, you know, the seat, but how are we going to take some ground and get some more balance, some more diversity of thought into this whole thing? Because when people look at the county commission today, they think they're seeing a debate. They're seeing a debate across the left flank of the aisle. They don't, they're not actually hearing the counter narratives, even if they don't win the day. So that's not healthy. It's not healthy locally. To your point, to what you just mentioned. So how do you can, how do you get other Republicans to win or at least split the unaffiliated vote like you've been able to do? How come other Republicans can't do that locally? Well, it's, it's not that they can't. It's that over the last 10 plus years, we have, we have been, withering away in a bluing city that's gerrymandered without many places for people to be able to have seats to go after. And we've lost our bench. That's what I tried to do last summer, create a new bench. And now we did. Those folks didn't win and it was disheartening, but they're off doing other things in our community leading right now. And we've started a bench. We have to create a bench of really strong candidates with real business experience and continue to build that bench. And over time, the strength of that bench and then the frustration of people seeing what's going on around here, I have to believe that's going to make a difference. All right, last question here with Tark Bakari. 
I have to ask you, you had funds left over. You're trying to figure out how to spend funds on the last day of the election. How did you come up with the idea for the plane? Where did that idea come from? Well, uh, I was brainstorming once I kind of saw that the early voting was going badly for me that, all right, what levers do I have left to pull? So we maxed out all of our volunteers, all of our folks making calls. Uh, we, we pumped up our radio ads. We pumped up our digital ads. Like anything we could do, we pumped up to max levels. And I made a call, call to action for funds and everything we could do. And so when I was done, I was like, is there anything else? And I was like, what about a plane? And first I thought, well, I could see if I could find a plane and fly it over Panther Stadium for the game on Sunday. So that was the original plan. And the original banner was going to say, I figured out, let's keep winning. Because they had won the week before for the first time. And it was going to come over the first quarter, which wouldn't have been in danger of, like, uh, they were down so bad to lose. And that's when I learned that they shut airspace over the stadium down an hour before the, uh, uh, for the game. So that was done. I was like, ah. Oh. And I was like, I don't know. And then I, I was like, we're going to do it on election day. I mapped out the, my red precincts that I knew were the most important, and I, I actually crafted the flight plan for them. And then we're sitting uh, last last night, Monday night, around the house, my wife, my kids, and my parents-in-law. And we're like, I was like, listen, guys, I've got 35 characters, including spaces, that we have to put on here. The media, as you know, didn't cover what they should have been covering for months now. And now because of the, of the ledger, because of you and what's been happening, then all of a sudden it's on people's radars. I was like, this is the cherry on top and it's going to garner uh, social media uh, impressions at a minimum, if not getting people out. And we were like, oh, do we do like, uh, and then we were like, hand lies and I was like ah that's too much that'll that'll rub people the wrong way it's got it's got to be like a multi-layered pun and then my mother-in-law my mother-in-law says uh what about uh uh want the plain truth question mark and plain p-l-a-n-e and we we all looked at her we were like that's it I run up there I tell the guy late last night fit this in it was 33 characters (laughs) And we were like, it's done. <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you, um, there's a lot of things in campaigning that you got to do that are not sexy. But when you're done and you're down to the last couple of days and you're creative and you can be creative and you got a couple extra bucks left to, to, to use, um, that's my favorite time because uh, because it, it's just you got to have fun if you're, if you're doing this and that's how I have fun. So I like to end most of the interviews just like this. Is there anything I didn't ask you or anything that you want to say? I would just say that, um, of all the people that I'm so proud of and thankful that are here that made this happen, uh, the volunteers and everyone were the absolute best. Uh, but, uh, of all my disappointments of what I saw in this election cycle, the greatest disappointment I have is in a lot of the folks in our more mainstream media who have been covering me for six years, of which, hey, I'm in this. I don't care. I'm not going to cry anything. I got to deal with it. Anything there's ever been an allegation that has always been found untrue and I've been vindicated, they've all covered it every single second with headlines and everything. And they never put the headlines out when I'm completely cleared and we figured out it was a political attack. But when my opponent was out there saying things that were clearly, clearly not true and unethical, 
uh, none of them would cover it. And I told them all, I said, oh, and, they, and no one would cover it. And until the, the ledger and you and WBT had the courage to go out there and do it, honestly, you know, that, that it's both a sad statement that shouldn't happen in local media and local politics, but it's a great testament to your two organizations for having covered it. And, you know, I just, I hope that the rest of the media takes this as a lesson uh, that, um, you can't show favoritism, treat everyone the same way, no matter what side of the aisle you're on and who your listener or reader base is. So that was my interview last night, about 30 minutes right after Tuck McCarry won the election. And when we come back, we're going to hear from Stephanie Hand on why she completely misrepresented her job for many times, many, many times, not in just the one interview either. So we're going to hear about that when we return and dissect exactly what happened and how it happened. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen, going up until 8 o'clock. So we just heard from Tark Bakari the really one-on-one in-depth interview that I had with him uh, last night, about 30 minutes after he won. And you can go to WBT.com and check it out if you missed any of it. Well, last night while I was at the Republican side, Scott Hamilton from our newsroom was at the Democrats, covering the Democrats up at the Mint Museum. And Scott, along with many other people, went up to Stephanie Hand to try and talk to her about, do you like actually throwing her softballs to start off with and then, you know, trying to figure out, if she would actually respond to misleading everyone about her job. And here's how that conversation went. Are, are you kind of disappointed about how things have come down the stretch though? There was some confusion about some employment history or completely describing it properly. Do you, do you well, want to clarify that now? As I, as I heard about this, is it is um, a part of the political landscape. The thing about it is just because people say something's not true doesn't mean it's not true. And so, but my focus has been on my young people who are working the campaign, uh, the volunteers who have been working tirelessly, and now we wait till we hear the end results. And, and now that the campaign is over, though, do you want to go ahead and clarify what you meant or what you were trying to convey? Tonight, I'm going to focus on celebrating those who have volunteered. I'm going to celebrate all those who have showed up today. And then we'll want to see what the, the, um, the results are for this afternoon. All right, Thank so you. I want you to, like, Scott gave her an easy way out. Like, he threw her a softball to try and explain herself. But I want you to hear in the first question exactly what she says. I want to replay this because it's 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 like she's doubling down that she ran airports. Confusion about some employment history or completely describing it properly. Do you, do you well, want to clarify that now? As I, as I heard about this, is it is um, – a part of the political landscape. The thing about it is just because people say something's not true doesn't mean it's not true. And so just because somebody says something's not true doesn't mean that it's not true. I'm, I'm sorry. Are you calling the Charlotte Douglas International Airport a liar? They said you never work for them. So who are you calling the liar? I, I don't understand that. And it's exactly that answer. And I don't know if she did that on her own or if she got horrific advice from Dan McCorkle, her campaign manager. 
Like, I, I don't know where that horrific advice or horrific reasoning to not talk to the media and completely ignore it came from. It was one of the dumbest things that you could ever do politically. When the Shaw Observer, which was forced into actually having to write an op-ed about it because of my tweet about how the Shaw Observer denied Tark Bakari ad space on Sunday, even though they gave her three ads, and they were forced into actually acknowledging that Stephanie Hand had basically lied about it. And when she won't even talk to the Shaw Observer, which is nothing more than Pravda for the Democrat Party. She wouldn't talk to them about her job situation. If that was on the advice of Dan McCorkle, holy moly. And you could not have been more wrong. And if that and if she did it on her own, she should have spoken to her campaign manager, Dan McCorkle, about doing it's like, hey, what do you think? Do you think I should just ignore all media from WBT and the Ledger and the Charlotte Observer and anyone else who calls? What do you think? What do you think I should do? Like, whole I I, I still I am dumbfounded, dumbfounded. That was the decision that she actually tried to take. Here's what we're going to do. We're just not going to talk to anybody, even though I was basically putting all this wrong information out there. So who are you saying just because they said it's not true doesn't mean that it's not true? Like, are you saying it's the Charlotte Observer? Because they're the ones who said you don't, or excuse me, the Charlotte Airport. They're the ones who said you never worked there. You worked in concessions. You work for an outside entity. You were in charge of the food court. Or I don't even know if like in charge of it's the right word. You operated in the food court. The airport still had probably final say so since it's their property. I, I just don't understand the advice or that particular strategy that you decided to take. I I I will never and surely to God, Dan McCorkle would have like would have known about what she was doing. He's the one that was quoted in the Observer. So I, I, I could be wrong, but it would make me believe that it was probably his strategy, which could not have been more dumb to ignore the media on something like that, especially when it's really coming to a head. Hey, I guess he thinks that nobody reads the show at Ledger or listens to WBT, follows my tweets, or anything else. I mean, I think that tweet at the Observer only had you know, tens of thousands of views. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen, going up until 8 o'clock tonight, 704-570-1110. And guys, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest in breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. And one of the things when I say around the Charlotte area is Huntersville. And I've been covering a lot of stuff going on up there that is otherwise known as the Three Ring Circus up in Huntersville during the political season. I Actually, I've been calling it, it's like the Jerry Springer show. It is neighbor versus neighbor, and we're all just waiting to find out who the father is. That's all we're trying to do. That's how much chaos. It's like people feel like people at the election polls were yelling, Jerry, Jerry. And so last night, because of so much utter chaos, Democrats swept a non-Democrat city or town, 70,000 people up there. And we're going to get into some of this stuff in a minute. But last night, around midnight, I interviewed... Uh, new mayor-elect Christy Clark on how the Democrats swept all six town commissioner seats and the mayoral race in a town that is where they are the minority. 
not a real big surprise that you won tonight, but were you surprised by how much you won tonight? I was. I was um, expecting it to be a little bit more of a, um, I would say, diplomatic split between the three candidates, and we were uh, surprised and thrilled with the results. But you had to have gone into the race knowing that unless a tidal wave came in from Lake Norman and wiped out the entire town of Huntersville, that you were actually going to win tonight. Yeah, we anticipated that the vote would be split. But, you know, um, having run before, you kind of never know what's going to happen on Election Day, um, who's going to turn out and who's going to put the effort in. And um, we were uh, thrilled to see that all of our hard work um, turning out the vote had had paid out. What do you think the difference was on why it was such a widespread victory? I think, um, you know, this this group of candidates that I was on um, running with, um, we put a pot, we put the focus on the issues relating to Huntersville and put a positive spin on everything and put the um, community and the people who live here as a priority and made sure that everyone knew that and we were not going to uh, fool around with um, partisan politics. We we're going to focus on the issues that people care about and that really showed tonight as um, all seven of us um, came to success. Talking with new elect mayor of Huntersville, Christy Clark, how stunned were you that the Democrats took all six seats on the town commission? I was, we were, we were all very pleasantly surprised. Um, We put the work in and we knew that we had done the work, but we really, you know, you just never know. We kind of expected maybe four or five just because of the large number of candidates in the field. But tonight we were very pleasantly surprised with all seven, and we are so looking forward to working together and doing great things for Huntersville. Talking with Mayor-elect of Huntersville, Christy Clark, there are fewer Democrats percentage-wise in Huntersville than there are Republicans and by a wide margin independents. There are going to be some residents inside Huntersville and many on the outside of Huntersville that are looking in saying, well, Huntersville is all Democrat now. That means it's going to be really woke. Is that true? Is Huntersville about to be really woke? (laughs) I mean, I don't think that's what that means. I think it means that um, we do have a change in demographics in Huntersville, but I also think that folks were looking for a fresh voice and a new change. We've had Republican leadership in Huntersville for probably 15 years now. And when we point that out to folks, I think they understood that we needed a change and how things were done and they chose a different pathway. And we're excited to work for this community and the folks that elected us. What's the biggest thing you're going to have to deal with as the new mayor of Huntersville? I mean, I think the biggest thing is going to be um, figuring out how to manage the growth of Huntersville. We are not going to stop growing. The population is going to grow um, as time goes on, and we're going to have to find a place for all those folks to live and place for them to work. And we're going to need to um, really join forces with the community and finding places for all those things to happen. And it's going to it's going to happen rapidly and Um, As we continue to work as a group, that's going to be one of the things that's going to be our top priority. Last question here with new mayor-elect of Huntersville, Christy Clark. Is there anything I didn't ask you about or anything else that you want to say? I mean, I think that um, the voters have spoken for Huntersville and they want a fresh voice and a new vision for Huntersville. And this book. This, these folks that have been elected tonight are going to bring that to the table, and we welcome our community's input and their voices, and we want them to come to the table and join us. And I think um, for me, the most moving aspect of the evening is that um, that we will have two um, people um, of color on our commission, and we're going to bring voices to the table that have not been there before, and we are very excited about that.
So that was done about midnight last night uh, with new mayor-elect Christy Clark. And Christy Clark won with 48.47% of the votes. Now, I can tell you there's a, there's a, a group up there uh, that believes that either I, current uh, for the time being, for a couple for about another month, uh, Town Commissioner Amber Kovacs and Stacey Phillips, the ones that I did the reports on, <clears throat> excuse me, about a month and a half ago, about or two months ago, about Derek Partee, about a month and a half ago on Derek Partee, and how they wrote letters to the mayor and the town and the ta- other town commissioners saying they didn't want to be sitting next to him anymore, and they found him aggressive and this and that, and how it was just a nasty situation, and they wanted to be on the same committees with him or anything else. And they're they're blaming my report. And these two women, the only two women that were on the town commissioners, both of whom wrote emails saying they didn't want to be anywhere near them. And I don't even think that they each knew that the other one had done the emails. But here's the thing. Despite party's disciples, and there's a fraction of just women up there who seem to be truly unhinged in a lot of ways. And one of them, like, went at me yesterday in the parking lot when I was up there at uh, at an elementary school to interview uh Christy Clark during the day, to talk to her during the day. But here's what you have to understand. And I know it's hard for a lot of you up there in Huntersville to understand this. I truly get it because maybe you're not the greatest in math. Maybe you're just not very good in math. But the very moment, the second Republican, because you had Dan Boone and Derek Partee, two Republicans running for mayor because they don't do primaries in Huntersville. You had two Republicans running against one Democrat. I was told in July that Christy Clark was going to win. And I was told that by someone in the MEC GOP. Why? Because you have two Republicans splitting the vote. So you had Dan Boone with 34% and Derek Partee came in, you know, dead last at 17%. You add them together. Guess what? You actually beat Christy Clark, who got 48.5% of the vote. But the very moment the second Republican filed for whether it was Party or Boone, doesn't matter. But the very moment the second Republican filed, that race, that race was immediately gone. Gone. Now, well, Brett, how do you explain the six Democrats winning? A couple of ways. Because... Uh, Derek Partee's like, you know, sort of like the Manson family, the Partee family, the women that were all protective of Charles Manson. They're these same women, in particular, Violet Clark and Noelle Burton. And Violet came up to me yesterday in the in the parking lot, dropping four letter bombs at me, which is not a big deal because I will swear with the best of them. But I was actually trying to get to Tark Bakari's press conference yesterday afternoon. And that's when, you know, I saw the plane flying over. But. Like she comes up at me and starts yelling at me, and I'm like, I, I just don't have time for this. I was already in my car, and while I was interviewing Christy Clark in the middle of the afternoon, I could see Noelle Burton. She was like just staring me down and just like waiting for me, so waiting for a second. So it felt like she could come over and talk to me. And like Noelle started this Huntersville unmasked thing, and where they, I saw a post yesterday. Somebody said that I ran, and Violet chased me, and I quote, literally ran. To my car. First of all, I was already in my car. Second of all, I was late for a uh, the interview with Tark Bakari. Third of all, 
As a matter of fact, I even texted Tark Bakari and said, hey, can you start your press conference 10 minutes later? I'm gonna actually going to be late because I'm up here in Huntersville. And then on top of that, it said I literally ran and was scared. Uh, and they called me the podcast guy. I don't know what upsets me more. The fact that they said I ran, which I did not because I was actually interviewing and talking to Christy Clark while walking to my car. Or the fact that they called me the podcast guy. I'm a living, breathing reporter with a living, breathing, real live show at a living, breathing, real live radio station that's one of the oldest in the entire country. One of the 10 oldest in the entire United States. I know on the website it says podcasts, and I hate that. They've got to change that. But I'm not podcast guy, so I'm not sure what upset me more. But then Violet and Noel, they now go on Amber Kovacs. Uh, town commission Facebook page and are just and it's like it's there it's all public record their names are out there Violet Clark Noel Burton they're all right there they're not hiding it and so it's not like I'm doxing anybody and they just proceed to use some of the most vile language in particular Violet just truly unhinged like and I, the whole, I'm reading all the and just attacking Amber and Stacy and using like just very, very vile language. And you know this isn't the first time. There's a reason now why Jake Palillo, the guy that was in charge of trying to bring that lagoon thing to Huntersville, he's got a lawsuit against each one of them, Violet Clark and Dwell Burton. And so what do they do? They started a GoFundMe page to try and pay for the lawsuit. They raised three thousand dollars. Congratulations. Actually, to be very specific. $3,130. That's what they've raised for a lawsuit that's going to cost a hell of a lot more than that. Even if they win the lawsuit, it's going to cost a hell of a lot more than that. But you would think they would learn their lesson. You're in the midst of a lawsuit and you're just going after these people and using the most vile language. And the entire time I'm sitting there thinking, and I, and I know all their personal backgrounds. I know their home life. I know everything about that stuff. Because when you've got about 30, 40 people telling you things about it, Guess what? And they all seem to be true or all seem to have the, the same storylines. There you go. Unless all 40 are deciding to lie to me or 30 are deciding to lie to me. Okay. But it just seems as though you would learn your lesson. But attacking a woman like Amber because you think that she took down Derek Partee and Stacy because you think she took down Derek Partee, this had nothing to do with Derek Partee. Derek Partee lost the moment there was a second Republican filing for mayor. It did not matter. And then all the other Democrats, the, four, the six Democrats that won the town commission, they won because of all the stupidity that was going on on the mayoral race on the Republican side, on top of the flyers and mailers that were being sent out by a Republican groupthink, many, by the way, and I can't tell you how many people have told me this, many, and they don't know for sure, but they believe, and the speculation is that John Anarella was behind the mayor, or behind the mailers. He's the former mayor. And apparently that just pissed a lot of people off because they went after the Democrats two different times and they sent out another mailer, I think, on Monday or whatever. People started getting them on Monday. So I don't know if he did it or not, but that is the widespread speculation within, within the Republican Party in Mecklenburg County. As a matter of fact, someone told me last night, you know who the biggest loser of tonight was? John Anarella. That's exactly what was told to me last night at the Republican Victory Party at Tark Bakari's. So, like I said, I don't know. I don't know 
what's going on with these two women, and there's a couple other ones that are this, I, I don't know why they are so obsessed with this. And I truly, truly feel sorry for them now because now that Derek Partee has lost, I don't know what's going to fulfill their lives. I honestly don't know. I, and I truly feel bad for them. But to come after me like that, like, okay, fine. Like, I don't care. I, I truly don't care. But you're going to go after two women who had absolutely nothing to do with this? They didn't know. Those two women had never heard of me until I called them and asked them about their emails. So, anyways, just a lot mess. Um, speaking of some other things that was not as nearly as much as a hot mess as Huntersville always is, by the way. Uh, and Joe Bruno had a great line. If Netflix wanted to do a series, people people would scream for season two and season three of Huntersville politics. Um, by the way, so when we come back, let's just do a little quick wrap up of what happened with the wall and down there in Waxhaw, the Waxhaw wall. I'm Brett Jensen, and you're listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen. Welcome back to Breaking with Brett Jensen. A few more minutes here. So last night, Bill McGinty, who helps out with us, you guys know him from WCNC fame. He was there for a very, very long time. Well, he was covering the Waxhaw political race last night, the very interesting race considering the Waxhaw wall. You had the three candidates going against the three incumbents, and the three candidates won. And that means the ousting of Mayor Pappas. So Bill McGinty last night had a chance to get in touch and talk to Pappas. So the results are in. What do you make of it? Well, I would certainly like it to be a little bit different than that, but I will congratulate them on their success. I hope that they are able to achieve the same success that we did over the last four years, and I hope they achieve their goals. Do you think the voter turnout played in their favor? I think the voter turnout did play in their favor. I wish them success. I really do. And I, again, I can uh, help them if they need to. I'll be more than happy to lend that uh, hand out if they need to. It is not an easy job. And uh, I, again, certainly wish them well. And then he had a chance to talk about Bill McGinty, had a chance to actually talk to the victors last night about, hey, you guys swept and now there's a new there's new people in charge. The incumbents are out. Change is voted in for Waxhaw, a clean sweep for the self-proclaimed Waxhaw wall. You don't turn out for the same old, same old. You turn out to do something different. That was newly elected mayor Robert Murray. And stable growth means that we don't rezone to high density all the time. That was Robert Daunt who will take one of the commission seats. Susanna Wedra likewise taking a commission seat tonight. So on day one, what do you, what do you try to do? I want to know what the people want on day one. WBT News talked to a lot of voters here in Waxhaw. They want growth managed better, and they want infrastructure to catch up. In Waxhaw, I'm Bill McGinty, WBT News. So that was Bill McGinty last night down in Waxhaw. So the Waxhaw wall, it's down there. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. You know, you hear that the Union County, a lot of the people in the Union County government as a whole wanted the wall to win. And now that it happened, we'll see what happens if they decide to, hey, now that we're in charge, maybe we'll limit and decide how the plumbing and the sewage and the water will actually get dispersed as opposed to just trying to cut everything off. So we'll see how that works out. But the election day is over. That means the next election thing you guys need to understand what's going on will be in December. And that's when everyone will start filing for their official spots that they want to run for in November of 2024, including 
you know, who's going to run for the General Assembly, you know, the, the state legislature, who's going to run for state senate, who's going to run officially run for governor. You're going to have all that stuff coming out. Who's going to be run, running for Congress and in what districts? And there are some question marks as to who's going to do what and when. And we'll see what happens there. But uh, election night is over. That happens in December. And then the next primary will be in March. And that'll be on Super Tuesday when you will vote for your Republican uh, presidential candidate in the primary. All right, everyone. So appreciate it. Everything tonight. If you missed anything, don't forget, you can go to WBT.com and hear all the all the interviews from this show as well as the past shows. And guys, like I always tell you, make sure you go to Brett underscore Jensen for all the latest and breaking news in and around the Charlotte area. You won't be disappointed. And until tomorrow, I'm Brett Jensen and you've been listening to Breaking with Brett Jensen.